Radio Vermont, WDEV, takes no responsibility for the opinions or statements made by the House Calls Vermont show host or their guests. The information provided during the House Calls Vermont show is offered only as a public service and should not be used as a substitute for obtaining any professional advice from a licensed professional. WDEV presents House Calls Vermont with hosts Jim Bradley and Chris West. Each week, a new topic specific to building or renovating in the Green Mountains and your calls. Brought to you by R.K. Miles, a third-generation family-owned business. Proud to be your local building's material supplier. Find a location near you at rkmiles.com. Poly Construction. For over 30 years, known for anything construction, big or small jobs, one call does it all. P-O-L-L-I construction.com. By Ken Libby of the Stowe Area Realty Group at Keller Williams Stowe, your trusted advisor, 802-793-2002. By Curtis Lumber with two locations in Vermont, Williston and Burlington. Request a quote for your next project online at curtislumber.com. Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, with locations in St. Albans, Enosburg, Swanton, Derby, and Middlesex. By Shamrock Painting, painting and custom wood finishing, shamrockpainting.com. By Matt Clark's Northern Basement Systems for all things basementy, northernnefoundations.com. By Wytha Windows, high-performance passive house windows and doors. Online at wythewindows.com. Your participation today is encouraged. Call the listener line with your questions at 802-244-1777 or toll-free from most anywhere at 1-877-291-8255. Now... House Calls Vermont with Jim and Chris. Good afternoon, listeners. I'm Jim Bradley here, along with my friend and colleague. How's it going, everybody? Chris West. We're here today again on Saturday afternoon. And, hey, it looks like there's a storm coming. There is. Snowstorm. It's the first larger one of the season. But if you look at the if you look at the actual weather app today when I opened it up, it was all in red. Oh, my gosh, ominous warning, you know, storm advisory, whatever. We're going to get a few inches, it looks like. And the, These people who are making these warnings don't live in Vermont. And first yeah. of all, I remember having a really good snowstorm about two weeks ago yep. where I had like six inches in Jericho and more in other places. So I don't know what they're talking about, this being the first big snowstorm of the season. This is the second big snowstorm of the season. It's not going to be that big. Exactly. So with that, you know, just be safe, be smart, and don't bring fear along for the ride. You know, just just make some good decisions and, and be safe out there for, for sure. But it's good, just in time for the holiday coming up that we'll have some whitened fields, if you will. So that'll be a good thing. But um, but along these lines, one thing that's, that's really important is the industry is showing, you know, the building industry is showing no signs of slowing down. Housing starts are up. The price of lumber is up again. It had dropped down um, even a few weeks ago. It was only $700 a board foot, which is 1000 board, board feet, feet yep, excuse yep. me, um, which is still historically high. I just looked at it before the show. We're almost at $1,100, $1,100 of 1,000 board feet. So prices are on the rise again. And we've also heard that the feds are going to have at least four rate increases next year, which will – 
cause mortgage rates to go up. And I think that's going to be the thing that starts to pump the brakes um, on, on this the whole inflation, on yeah, inflation, yeah, yeah, everything yeah, yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so with that, that's why it's so important for us to get you the correct information. We want you to have the best information possible so you can make good decisions, you know, and that's that's really important for us when it's, you know, considering your house and your home improvement projects, your new construction, weatherization projects. We don't want you to put your hard-earned money into a bad investment because it wasn't done appropriately. So, uh, first of all, happy holidays to everyone for me and Jim. Um, whatever your holiday is, uh, we, we want you to enjoy it and have a good time. Um, we are uh, hot in the beginnings of the indoor air quality survey. I just distributed two of the indoor air quality um, uh Units, the monitors to two of our listeners who were up for the survey. Once again, the survey is not closed. If you're interested in participating in the survey in which we provide you with an indoor air quality monitor, the IQ air monitor, you get that for two weeks. You put it in uh, different rooms for four days at a time with different conditions, door open, door closed for bedrooms, etc. And then we'll get that back. If you're still interested or you're just hearing about it today, the idea is that we're going to be doing this. We've got about 15 people signed up right now. We're going to be getting these indoor air quality monitors people, and then we'll be looking at the data. And have it's kind of an informal survey, but we are also going to tell each individual person how their indoor air quality has been going. Another thing is, uh, yesterday Jim came out to 10 Old Stage in Essex where we where we have the tiny house stored, and we started pulling the siding off of the tiny oh, house uh, because the, the wood uh, of the siding looked in pretty good shape from sure. the outside, and we were hoping to be able to repurpose it because why, you know, buy new stuff, uh, you know, throw this wood out if it's not necessary. Well, uh, Jim started pulling the siding off, and he was showing our, our colleague, uh, Micah, um, who's helped us with this work, um, how to pop the nails in order to take the siding off so that it could be reused. And they did the first couple of rows, and it was it was atrocious, um, saturated. The, 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 we we noticed that the siding was not back primed, mm-hmm. uh, and so if you have a, a piece of wood that's acting as siding, and you only paint one side of it, you're going to have a different vapor profile for the front and the back. And the back of this was completely raw wood and was was absorbing a lot of moisture. Mm-hmm. That moisture had nowhere to dry. And what did we find when we pulled it off? Mold. Mold. Rot. And also the nails, they used the wrong type of nails because this is a cedar siding. So the tannins in cedar, if you use just regular non-stainless or non-galvanized nails, it's going to degrade that nail, cause it to rust out prematurely. And when we're pulling this off, it didn't look like it had been there for three or four years. It looked like it had been there for 20 or 30 years, and some of these just fell right apart. And so, you know, once again, it's just such a disconcerting thing when we see that current construction techniques where they ignore building science is just a waste of resources and time. And and so if you're interested in in seeing us uh, revealing these issues that we're finding under the siding and with the siding, we took a video of it. I posted the video on our YouTube channel that's uh, youtube.com slash c slash house calls vt or house calls vermont just type that on in and you can take a look under the tiny house rescue is what i'm calling the 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 playlist for that and you can take a look it's a four minute video it's real quick and gives you a good idea of what we found and so, you know, t- on today's show, where we're going is we're going to go into the basement. Down, down, down. 
and you know why is that why is the basement so important and what are the functions of the basement what is it trying to produce for the home what is it trying to support and where does Literally. it fail and where does it fail yeah, yeah. and how to get it right you know from a new build to correcting issues that you already have with that and to that end one of our show sponsors Matt Clark with Northern Basement System is going to be on the line with us a little bit later after our first break and he'll be able to talk with us in this discussion about basements and, and what he finds out there and what he recommends and also he's going to be here to answer your questions um, and so we, we hopefully will have you calling in with, with concerns you have about your basement whether it's cracking in the walls whether it's uh, the, the foundation uh, itself you can see visible signs of degradation bulk water bulk uncovered water. dirt Ex- floors exactly bad smells that's smells we're, we're, one yeah. of the things that we do when we walk into a basement and we're doing an audit the first thing we do is we just let our nose tell us what's going on because your nose is one of the 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 best tests for whether something's off exactly so if you have questions regarding your house please give us a call at 802-244-1777 802-244-1777 but for now basically why is the basement so important well think of it this way it supports your house and we don't have levitation discs yet no, we no. still have, we still have to deal with gravity here so and, and, and what people ask is why do we have why do we have basements here in this climate and not in others because when i grew up in california and did a lot of work in florida I remember one basement in Florida that I ever saw in the building trades, and that was just a unique situation built into the side of the So most of them are slab on grade. Most of them are slab on grade. So why don't we do that here? Well, here's the reason. We need to have the foundation protected from frost heaving and movement of the land when we get into the colder times of year. And so you have to get the foundation walls, the frost walls by name, below the frost line. And so you're going to have usually today you're building an eight-inch thick concrete wall that's going to sit usually on a 16 inch wide uh, footing below that and it's going to be at least four to five feet below grade but now people say well four to five feet below grade mine's much deeper than that well here's why if you just have if you just go four to five feet below grade and then you keep that space below there that's usually going to be a crawl space height so it's not really functional for living unless you're a very diminutive sized person (laughs) Um, usually you might have send the children down to play in the basement (laughs) exactly you might have some mechanicals in there you might have some you know plumbing electrical items but usually, storage yeah it's usually not a really effective space to use so most people say well, well if i'm already this deep and i've already have the excavator on site why not just go a few feet more then i can go ahead and get a full height basement to where in the future basements are one of the the least expensive places in the home to retrofit into new living space because you've already got everything there you don't need to put a roof on it you don't need to put a foundation under it it's already built so fitting up that space into usable living space is really cost effective and it's a great place for all your mechanicals it's a great place for your plumbing your electrical but at the same time it's that catch-all most times where hey we're going to put the exercise equipment down there that becomes a clothes rack that becomes storage and your kids move out but their stuff doesn't you know we see a lot of that but in that we need to make sure that this space is really properly appointed that it's first and foremost keeping that it's stable it's structurally sound but it's keeping bulk water moisture out it's effectively you've dealt with the vapor drive that can cause problems especially once you tighten up a home you're keeping pests out of the home and also as we've talked about so many times once air pushes out and leaks out of the house due to the stack effect the stack attic yeah yeah and once that happens the the 
the house will, by by simple physics, will try to re-equalize that pressure differential by drawing air in from the lowest part of the building, and that's through the basement. Yeah. So you can imagine, I'm sure some of our listeners have the old rubble wall foundation where... They call them stone to give it kind of a romantic feel to it, <laughs> but we call it rubble because that gives us an idea of of our esteem of that type of wall. No one's building that wall right now. No, not at all. Right? We, we abandoned that back in the 20s and 30s. And so keeping that stable, though, and making sure that the critters are staying out, the cold air is staying out, all the other things, that, you know, like water. Chris, the, yeah. the bad smells, the water, you know, that's really important. And to just p- apply insulation over that of some sort but not deal with other measures like the bulk water moisture coming through the wall or if you have an exposed dirt floor with no membrane down um, effectively protecting it, that could be a real problem problem also. Yeah. And so on today's show, this is exactly what we want to talk about is what to look for, what are some possible solutions, and what are the most cost effective. And remember, uh, when we're trying to keep uh, mold, mildew, and wood rot from, from growing, we're the, we, we, uh, they, they need three things to grow, right? They need mm-hmm. uh, uh, an organic base in order to eat. They need temperatures where it can survive and grow right between 40 degrees and 90 degrees Fahrenheit, which is oddly enough where we like to live too. And finally, it needs moisture. Well, we can't really decide that we're not going to build with organic materials. We use wood. That's just part of it. And we can't really decide uh, um, uh, about... uh, uh, Boy, completely lost my train of thought. The (laughs) only thing that we can control basically is the moisture. Right. Well, we have to. As we said in the promo for this show, moisture, moisture, moisture. Moisture, moisture, You've moisture. You've got to control the moisture. Either it's bulk water moisture trying to get in or it's the vapor drive. The other one was temperature. That's the one yep. I dropped. So um, we, we can't control the temperature because we need to live in that temperature. We can't control the fact that there's organic material because we're building with wood. The only thing that we have any real control over is moisture. So all of our strategies are going to be how do we deal with moisture in basements. And basements are often below the dew point. Mm-hmm. In the summertime when we have moist air. So that's when, and we'll talk about it later, when someone says, well, I got to put a vent into my crawl space. No, uh, that's Bad one idea. of those things where we're adding moist air into a space with surfaces that are below the dew point. You're just introducing bulk water into your basement. And so when we come back after the break, because we're right up on the first one here, we're going to be speaking with Matt Clark. He's on the line uh, from Northern Basement Systems or All Things Basement And hopefully you'll be able to call in at 802 802- Two four four one seven 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 with your questions regarding your home and your particular situation. So be back with us after the break. Christmas Eve then and now by Wythe Windows. Christmas Eve then. And Mama and her kerchief and I and my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. Tighten up that kerchief. It's going to be a cold one. It's that nasty draft from the window that's to blame. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. Hurry! I think I see something. It's stuck. And Christmas Eve now. Look, it's Santa. What a clear, unobstructed view we get through our white windows. Quick, tilt it open. Hey, Santa, it's Jim. Those are some good-looking white tilt-and-turn windows. I know. Eight locking points keep them air and watertight, and they're made in New Jersey. That's my next stop. I have a new guitar for the boss. I heard him exclaim, and he drove out of sight. Wife windows for all, for a house cozy and tight. Wife windows, high-performance passive house windows and doors. Online at WITHEwindows.com. Welcome back. 
Welcome back to House Calls Vermont. I'm Jim Bradley here with Chris West. How's it going, guys? And uh, on today's show, we are talking about all things basement-y. And on the line with us right now, we do have Matt Clark from Northern Basement Systems. And we also have our first call, Wild Bill in South Woodbury. So, Bill, uh, Wild Bill, if you could hold on just for a moment because we want to bring Matt in and introduce him and talk to him a bit. We'll get right to your call. But, Matt, welcome to the show today. Hey, thank you, Jim. How are things been going, sir? Chris, how are you? We're doing well, thanks. Good to hear your voice. Good. 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 And, and so, Matt, you know, we wanted to have you uh, on the show today just to go over one of the more important places in the home because, hey, if the, if the basement fails, the whole house can fail. And so um, – and this is an area that causes people a lot of angst and a lot of anguish at times too because there's usually not just a simple Band-Aid solution. And we've been in too many basements over the you know last couple of decades where there's been so many Band-Aid fixes, you don't know where to start except starting all over again. You know, And, and, and additions, right? How many different basement types can you have in a basement? We see that a lot too. Yeah. And so, Matt, you know, what caused you to get into this field, and what's your experience, basically, um, that that led you in this direction? Uh, well, it uh, started about I think 19 years ago, um, just uh, getting out of a a, a, a warehouse job and uh, sought out a specialty trade and. Um, been educated in it for, you know, went to some trainings and, and just found it very interesting and, and all that you can learn. And there's a lot to, to take, uh, take from that space, that below grade space. So it just intrigued me. Um, the services we provide are, are a great service, um, help a lot of homeowners, uh, deal with problems that they don't know uh, how to fix or, you know, long-term solutions for. So it just, it really intrigued me and caught my, uh, it caught my career is I guess how I would put it. Sure. And, and with that, what are some of the services that you actually do provide for, for your clients? So we provide a, a, a wide array of services, um, everything from, you know, basement waterproofing, uh, crawl space, uh, encapsulation, spray foam, insulation, uh, structural repair that goes from bowling walls to sinking, settling foundations. Um, and we also provide some, uh, some, you know, uh, getting ready to finish, um, that space, uh, services as well. Right. Get, get taking something that was an unfinished, but conditioned space and turning into something that you could put a rug down in and not worry about it turning into a mold factory in a year. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I still remember yeah. the one you did uh, through us um, for Chapin Orchards uh, and Phil Murdoch out in uh, Essex, where uh, after it was all over, we came downstairs and everything was was wonderfully encapsulated. All the moisture issues were dealt with. All the nastiness was dealt with. And it really was a bright and clean looking space at that point in time. And he had a lawn chair set up <laughs> in front of his wood uh, wood heater. And I said, what are you doing, him to Phil? And he just said, oh, it's just so nice down here. I just, I just, I could I like be to away. sit here and watch the fire burn. It, <laughs> yeah. was, it was hilarious. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a, that was a good project and uh, transformed an old stone foundation into uh, into something usable. So yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, let's go to our phones right now. We do have Wild Bill in South Woodbury once again on the line, and welcome to the show, Wild Bill. How can we help you today? Well, I've been actually. There's another person, I guess, down in Connecticut or Massachusetts that's just like uh, 
all things basementy up here. But uh, a buddy of mine passed away, and his mother's house, which I helped build back in 75, I guess it was, same time this house was built that I live in up here in Vermont. Mm -hmm. Now, my house is set back in kind of like a, uh, a big C. The rear of the house, the basement is into the bank, and then, you know, it slopes on either side. Once in a while in the summertime, I get a little moisture on the floor, but it's nothing to write home about. Now, the house in Connecticut was on a uh, a pretty flat area, but then it sloped down towards the lake. That house, ever since they poured the foundation, was a moisture magnet in the basement. Uh, my buddy's mother used to keep two dehumidifiers going all summer long and most of the winter, too. And they had a wood stove in the basement. It got so bad that literally when uh, I went up there to clean out the house, it had been empty for about 10 years. And I opened up the windows, and it was just about early spring, summer. I had pools of water on the floor, and it was just, it was, it was uh, condensing on the ceiling, and it was incredible. And I just, I never understood why, even with ventilation, why it always would get so moist in that basement when it had, it was all grainy soil, just like what I have here in Woodbury. You know, I have, uh, oh, you know, pretty much slate, grainy uh, uh, gravel. So I have good drainage here, but I just, that, that house was so, I mean, it was riddled with, with mold because nobody had been there for 10 years or so. I just wondered what they could do about um, re uh, rectifying that. I mean, I don't know. Would they have to, like, uh, dig all around the foundation or drill holes in the basement floor and inject? Or I, I've always been curious about that. We, uh, my friend's wife sold the house, but I, I don't know what the, uh, the people that bought it did. Yeah. So the first thing that comes to mind is... Um, uh, the, what we have to do on, in, in any of these circumstances is find out what, what is the source of the water. And you, you kind of intimated there are possibly two sources from what you told us. One would be groundwater pushing against the back of the building, getting into the building due to hydrostatic pressure and, and either not well draining, uh, soils going to perimeter drain or no perimeter drain to speak of. The other one that you spoke of that, that you mentioned was, um, you were ventilating and that means to me that maybe there were windows open and moist air was getting into the basement. And if that's true, um, which is something you might have done because you wanted to get air in there because fresh air kills mold, sure. what you're actually doing is bringing moist air in. And then the, the fact that the walls are below the dew point would, or, or the floors even, would create a place for that water to deposit just on the outside of a glass of iced tea in the summer. So the right thing to do, and of course Matt is still on the line. Matt, you're welcome to jump in, but the the first thing that we would do is try to find uh, a good explanation for where that moisture is coming from, and then you can come up with a strategy. Yeah, what are your thoughts, Matt, on that? Yeah, so, um, so Bill, uh, I guess the quest, first question I would ask you is, is was it actually like um, did you have standing water? Did it seem more of as a leaking basement more than a moist basement? Oh, no, this – when I pulled up the carpets down there, it was, I mean, there was a cement floor, and after a day or two, I had pools of water. 
Yeah. And it's, a, it, like I said, it's a grainy uh, substrate down there in, in, in uh, Woodstock, Connecticut. And, you know, the, they never had a problem with ponding or anything else around the house when it rained. But from the 70s, as soon as they built the house, that thing was always just a moisture magnet. And they still put rugs in the basement floor. I'm just going to jump in and say that. (laughs) It sounds like counterintuitive. It's real estate. It's real estate. Use it, right? Right. Um, So, you know, uh, there's a lot of things. I mean, definitely, you know, back uh, in the 70s, there was uh, less vapor barriers being used underneath slabs prior Mm -hmm. to pouring them. So, you know, you have a cold surface there. Um, It may not have been standing water, but we've seen where you'll have a cold enough slab and and warm air hitting that slab, just as uh, Chris mentioned. It's like a, it's like a, a iced tea uh, glass, you know, it just condenses. So you could have, uh, you know, condensation build up to the, to the point that it looks like water. Um, if there was water infiltration through any cold seams where the concrete meets concrete, um, you know, those, those are all things that we try to identify uh, prior to any solution. So, well, you know, I know that they put, oh, my God, they put a, a thin film of tar or sealant on the walls of the foundation. Right. I know they didn't put any sort of a, uh, what do you call it, underlayment. Yeah, it was a barrier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, that basement, aside from the floors, when I was cleaning it out a year and a half ago, even the, I mean, they only, they used the basement as, like, their, um, you know, canning room and stuff. They had a wood stove down there, and they were uh, immigrants from Lithuania. But anyway, um, they, when I had it started cleaning out, I had the, the casement windows open, and then there literally were water droplets on the ceiling yeah, yeah, dripping definitely. down on me. Yeah, yeah Definitely. And what people well, don't realize, condensation. Yeah, yeah, condensation, yeah, condensation, because what people don't realize um, is that when you have a basement, usually it's going to mimic or transfer the heat or the, the temperature of the earth in which it sits. And so you, it's usually going to run around 48 to 50 degrees. And so when you get the outside air that has a lot more moisture in it coming in and hits that cold surface, that's when it drops the water. Yeah. It can't carry it anymore because it's cooling it down. And then you get this accumulation of water, and that doesn't just happen to have on happen on the concrete but if the temperature of the basement has cooled the other building materials down yep. same thing happens and so you can definitely have this this condensation event yep wicked Absolutely. so well I, I always wanted to call matt clark and ask him about this but they sold the house and i figured it was a moot point i don't know what the people have done with it but yeah that was a great now i know i've learned something today <laughs> glad to, glad great. to take your call um wild bill in Thank south woodbury you have a good rest of your weekend you do. So, uh, yeah, we are uh, very glad to have had that call. If you have uh, more questions for Jim and I or Matt, give us a call, 802-244-1777. And so let's, we're going to uh, start looking at, at the basement as, as a, a, a part of the building, right? What's different about a basement? What do we have to be, be aware of? Uh, when we're building either new or we're renovating. And I remember when I was reno- I'm renovating that house in, in uh, Essex still. I mean, no, Matt's going to roll his eyes because he, he sold me that perimeter, that French drain like two years Rolls ago. And laugh, <laughs> and laugh. There yeah. you hear the chuckle. Uh, I'm just taking a very long time with this project. Um, but that's got a rubble wall. 
It's got actually a really stable rubble wall, sure. um, but it does have a rubble wall, and that brings with it certain issues. That I remember very clearly, I was thinking about digging the uh, the uh, dirt away from the outside of the wall and getting down like to the to the slab side, so I could do some insulation and, and proper perimeter drain. And uh, and Matt, you you very quickly jumped in and said you don't know how much of the stability of that wall is that outside dirt. Right. Right. So if yeah, I yeah, if right. I excavated, I could be um, you know looking at creating a structural issue with that old rubble wall. Yeah, um, rubble walls can be uh, tricky to dig. You know, they they build them in a a pyramid style to to be able to build them right. Um, and so as you're digging down, obviously they're going. They're going to be going out, and they always try to put the, the flattest surface of the rock to the inside. Um, so, you know, the wrong movement, you know, with an excavator, uh, you might very well destabilize some of those stones, which then uh, becomes a, a, you know, potential issue. So um, I I always recommend staying away from digging them out if, if can, especially if they're in, in good shape like yours was. Yeah. Uh, and. And, and that's part, and, and that's part of the consideration, Matt. That I know a lot of people, as I said before, anguish about is like, okay, how far do I go? Because you don't always have the deepest of pockets to be able to fund some of these projects. But at the same time, you just don't want to do a stopgap measure. Think you've dealt with it appropriately. I mean, I know a lot of people out there like to use dry lock, um, like a paint, to stop moisture from coming in. But that can actually work against you because it traps moisture inside that concrete, breaks down the limestone, and then it weakens it over time. And so, you, you, yeah, you could stop the immediate issue, but you're creating another one. So when you come to a yeah. building with all these different types of foundation possibilities from the rubble wall to the concrete block to stack stone to uh, – Empty concrete blocks. Yeah, right? empty, empty yeah, yeah, yeah. And then also poured concrete. Yeah. How do you approach this when you first show up and you, you're first you know, talking to a customer? And, and you know, how do you steer that conversation to get them on board with your plan of action? So, one um – Every yeah, every foundation needs to be evaluated properly. Uh, we need to make sure if it's a CMU block and they're hollow cord, if they've been coated on the inside, what's the integrity of the block? Um, as you as you mentioned, it can definitely break down the the limestone and the and the minerals inside the the concrete. That now you have really a uh, deteriorating you know issue, and we'll see it. Often, where they're coated with either a dry lock or like a, a cementious product, um, many different types out there. And believe it or not, it looks fine, but both behind that, the actual integrity of the sure. block is is deteriorated. So we we want to identify that right off the bat. Um, concrete can be the same thing. We can go in, we'll see a wall painted, the moisture levels are high, trying to push through. And if you're not stopping the moisture from coming through, mm-hmm. you're you're putting a, that Band-Aid, so to say, on the inside. Um, so we want to identify that and then address, you know, the, the structural concerns if, if need be, and then we'll address the moisture concerns. So sure. as you talked about the stack effect, the stack effect is going to help, you know, because it is a porous material, it's not going to be high volumes of, of, of airflow, but there is airflow and moisture that pushes through cement. And you, you can minimize that um, 
you know, I, ideally it's, it's done from the start of the project, but uh, if it's retrofit, there's, uh, you know, vapor barriers, there's things that you can use there. Um, but we want to identify anything prior to making any suggestions. Right, exactly. And, and so with that, um, I know you were out to a friend of mine's house over in Burlington, and she had a 1940s home, and it was concrete block, and there was already significant degradation of the block. And she, I know she'd gotten a price from another contractor that was really a Band-Aid fix. And I told her, I said, listen, if you start taking out one block and trying to repair it and doing a small section, you could just have a crescendo effect. And especially they their, their strategy was not to deal with what was going on outside the house where you had the outside – um, grade, even though it was a, a, a driveway, a tar driveway, a blacktop driveway, it was pitched towards the house. So it's continuing to introduce moisture into the house, and they had no plan of action to deal with that. So when when you're showing up to a house, wouldn't that be a, a, a you know a significant consideration? Is hey, let's keep the w- water away from the house, <laughs> keep it from coming in, make sure we have window wells. I mean, how do you approach that normally? Yeah, gutters, you know, your downspouts, uh, gutter extensions. So there's there's what we like to call the active zone, right? The active zones where you dug this hole in the ground to put this foundation, and that soil put back against it is going to continue to settle. It's not going to be as dense as the soils that were undisturbed. So you can pave it, you can cut concrete, you can do whatever um, as a as a solid barrier, right, to shed that water as you backfill. But those things will settle over time. So. You know, gutters, these three-foot little extensions, you know, they're not really adequate. You need to look at all of those things and, and uh, you know, get them away. Get them, you know, seven, eight, ten feet away as much as possible. Um, <clears throat> there are products to get things away without having a big pipe sticking on top of the lawn. Um, and from the gutters and, you know, any driveways, that's unfortunate. Sometimes those have to be dug up, some fill added, and then, you know, graded properly away. But looking at grading is a big, big importance of it, too, you know, if, if you're kind of sitting in that bowl uh, effect. Um, needs to be corrected, you know, steering this water uh, away as much as possible. Great. Um, and then the soil conditions always play a factor as well. Yeah. I was sitting in a bowl. I remember that one that you did near the Kineoska uh, golf course uh, uh, down in Shelburne area where it was a development, but this house was in the lowest spot in that development, and water was just gushing through the sidewalls, and there was really no way to go. And I know that at the time the budget really didn't allow for a complete excavation, but they were also in a difficult situation because – even if you installed a perimeter drain, there was nowhere to take it. Right. So, you're at the bottom already. <laughs> yeah, you're at the bottom. So how do you get that to daylight appropriately? So what would your strategy in something like that when there's no opportunity for a perimeter drain, but you've got to deal with that moisture? How do you approach something like that? So a lot of that's interior drainage, um, and then you, you rely on sump pumps. Um, you know, you can put subfloor drainage underneath the existing concrete floor, uh, bring it to a pump location, and then find a – the best, I will say, the best place. Um, sometimes there's not a great place to pump the water to, yeah, yeah. but you got to get it back outside and again running it far as way as you can from that active zone uh, is crucial. Right. I remember very clearly you were just talking about um, uh, dry lock and uh, parging. I remember there's a house we saw in Jericho that was a hollow core basement, and uh, the, when they bought the house. The previous owner had parged the walls 
to look like they were poured concrete. Yeah. But when we got down to it, you could see um, that it was clearly just uh, one of those synthetic parges, and it was not doing anything for uh, keeping the moisture out. It was failing uh, and causing the the CMUs to to be less effective structurally. Um, and uh, that was once again not something that the uh, the inspector, the house and ins- home inspector, came Couldn't up see it. with. Couldn't yeah, it was, see it. It was smoke and mirrors. <laughs> you know, they it's, hit it. It's just yeah. a concrete wall. No, no, not a concrete wall. And <laughs> and so there are nefar- you know nefarious uh, people out there. If you're buying a house and you're getting that house looked at, make sure that that the uh, the inspector does a good analysis of what's going on with that connection to the ground. It's it's one of the hardest things to get right. A lot of people don't get it right, and when it's wrong, it can be an expensive fix. Well, we're right up against our our second uh, break. So, yes, but when we come back, Matt, I do ask that you stay on because I also want to ask you questions about some of the other services. You mentioned a sump pump, and there's so many different types of sump yep. pumps out there. Yep. And the triple safe that you guys offer really caught my attention because of you know just how resilient it is and some of the other offerings. But also, I know some of your services have included how to address cracks in basement walls and you know, especially poured concrete and how to seal those. So when we come back, we want to discuss those. But in the meantime, should you have any questions pertaining to your basement situation or any other building science question, please give us a call at 802-244-1777 and we'll be back right after the break. Hey, everybody. This is Chris West for House Calls Vermont. I'm here with my colleague, Jim Bradley. Hello again, everybody. And we have our special guest on the line, Matt Clark from Northern Basement Systems. Um, and just before the break, uh, Jim was asking about uh, sump pumps. And uh, you use a particular type of, of sump pump that's not just a, a single pump in a well but, but has backups. Why don't you explain a little about why you uh, prefer this particular type of pump? Well, um, you know, when uh, when you're looking at, you know, you want to keep a basement dry, right? We, we look at it as keeping it dry all the time, right? That's the, that's the goal. And uh, so you're relying on, on a, a pump, an electrical device to keep this thing operable. And in this state of ours uh, in, in all the areas we serve, um, power outages are a problem. Um, sure. you know, it is Vermont. <laughs> I lost power the other morning for yeah. two hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, pump failures can be an issue. And, you know, when you need it most is, is when there could be a problem. That's uh, something we don't want our customers to ever feel is, is a problem. So the triple safe pump, it, uh, it actually, the design of the basin, um, that it sits in, which is, is a liner, uh, the hole that it makes it in, um, actually is designed to hold and, uh, house three pumps. So you have two AC primary pumps as well as a third battery backup. Mm-hmm. So in the event of power failure, you have something that, that, uh, a, a deep cell, uh, DC battery that can, um, you know, has a pump, pump 11,000 gallons of water. Um, you have two AC primary pumps. One fails, you already have a second ready to go. Or if the volume of water, uh, over, uh, is, is over capacitating one pump, you know, and we, we do run into that every now and then. So this pump just gives that, that peace of mind that you're, you're covered in just about any event. 
It's a really good design. It's all air sealed um, so that you don't have these, these odors or uh, vapors coming out of an open hole in the basement. Well, what about that, uh, Matt? Because a- we've been in so many. I think two weeks ago we were in one where ah. there was a, a nice open pretty water space <laughs> that was a well that was it was just off gassing into the house which adds to the moisture level so it was literally a well a, like a, a three by three 15 foot deep dug well from who knows the 1700s or something uh, in their basement uncovered uncovered and so that's yeah. why you know when we've seen the other something pumps that people can just go down to the local store and buy they put that in but they leave this thing open and they're trying to deal with moisture but you're allowing it to continue to evaporate and that is that the main reason why you like the triple safe for that air sealed component um that and the redundancy i yeah, mean sure. um you know keep this thing air airtight less moisture and then protection you know make sure it's 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 an insurance policy on top of an insurance policy to keep that water out is what it is well we know you know we've been in so many of these older homes where they have the old cistern basically where they forced outside water into a storage area and used that water for the house and that was open yeah, no, granted, the houses were very leaky, and so there was drying yeah. uh, you know, opportunities there. But we still find these people, like we described, that they'll have this catch basin of some sort in their house. It's open, and it's you know, off-gassing, drying, or evaporating into that space, and you're trying to tighten this up and, and make it perform better. But then you could introduce higher levels of moisture condensation. So when you see something like that with your customer, what do you usually suggest to them, and how do you approach that? Well, each one's different. You know, some of those are there to remove. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, we have removed them. Um, you, you take them right out of the equation. Uh, we've also in, and basically have covered them with a non-organic material so you have no mold growth concerns uh, if moisture is still getting in there. But, you know, covering them, sealing them up. Um, can be an option, and then obviously there can be some some space added to your, your basement if you, if they're removed. So uh, we've done both. It's it's a discussion we typically have um, with the customer and what their their ultimate goal is. Yes. So so um, when you have a leak, so say one of the things that Jim and I were speaking about last week was about the metal ties used for um, uh, for putting concrete in forms. concrete forms yep. that or, rust out over time. And we're often in houses that have poured concrete walls that are 10 or 15 years old, and those have rusted all the way through. So we're getting moisture, bulk water coming through the basement wall through these very small but present holes. What do you recommend for, for stopping those up? Yeah, so that can that can be difficult, um, you know, because you do have, uh, you know, a, a steel tie through there. Um, one, always, you know, good construction practices start from the beginning, right? Yes. You steal those from the outside, you break them, and you water plug them. Um, there are, you know, you can water plug them from the inside as well, uh, but getting that that bond. Sometimes you'll have to chisel around them a little bit to make sure that you can actually uh, pack in some of that water stop. Um, those are those are a difficult one. You, you hope that it was done from from the outside and done right, but if it isn't, there is uh, you know chiseling and breaking it off a little further, getting in there and making sure that you get a good bond with water stop. Does that always stop them? No. Um, so controlling that moisture, uh, 
sometimes from the inside using vapor barriers uh, on the wall, controlling that down into a drainage system is, is what we sometimes look at doing as well. And so water stop, just to be clear for people who may not know that branding, that's a type of epoxy-based hydraulic cement. Correct. Okay. And so with that, um, if, you're, if you're looking at some of these um, items that a customer well, let's put it this way. If, if they could do themselves, you know, because people are very resilient here in Vermont. They like the DIY uh, situation. Self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. Yeah, but yeah. I always tell people, at least this season, we've been saying, hey, don't DIY, do it yourself, but don't destroy it yourself. Yeah. So <laughs> in some of these strategies, it, you can go and they're promoted at, at some of the local stores. Try this. It works. Well, what does it do? Just try it. It'll solve it. What would you tell people that say, hey, listen, this is probably outside your wheelhouse, even if you are ambitious, or this is just the wrong solution. You shouldn't be trying this. What are some of those things that you would advise people to stay away from and not implement uh get a professional to come and do yeah yeah and i you know i hate to to play it down but dry lock stay away from dry lock it it, it is uh, it is something that is not used in the proper uh, manner 99 percent of the time yeah. um i actually a long time ago had a customer I show up to their house. They have it sitting there. She's like, this is what I'm going to do. But I wanted to make sure it was right. And I'm like, well, that's, uh, <laughs> we had a long discussion. She actually calls the manufacturer, and they even told her not to apply it on the inside wall. Wow. It is technically to stop the moisture from penetrating concrete, not letting it penetrate to the surface of that barrier on the inside. So painting the inside of the wall is the wrong place for that product. It's actually Absolutely. supposed to be on the outside Absolutely. before. But that's not how it's – and that's so – Never used that yeah, way. Yeah, it's not, it's not even sold that. that way basically in the stores. It's, it's counterintuitive. I'll, yeah. But so. with, with that, uh, Matt, if you do have a situation where you show up and you've got a poured concrete foundation, you have cracks in the walls that are – you know, you've de- demonstrated movement. I remember that one – uh, in for the the woman over in uh, Richmond that you did, and that strategy was pretty aggressive to to get that to be stabilized because you know she needed weatherization done, but before any of that could be done, the the whole structure needed to be stabilized to protect the house because it was already cracking upstairs in the wall systems and some of the framing because it wasn't done appropriately. So when you see something like that, you know, granted you got to get the movement stopped, but you also have to look at okay, then how do you seal the cracks, and then when you get concrete masonry units or concrete block and you see cracking and movement there how do you address that and what are some of the services that you guys offer that can can address these appropriately so uh, foundation movement is um you know we we need to identify if it's settling uh or if it's bowing inward um you know cracking can can indicate either one just really identifying uh, you know whether it's a vertical or horizontal movement uh so you know we have uh, we have multiple products. So sinking, settling foundations. We have uh, helical piles. We have push piles that we can put underneath to you know stop any vertical movement. We've also have uh, you know uh, bracing from the inside, steel I beam bracing. Um, you know which is all engineered. This is engineered solutions. This isn't something we typically just you know throw out there as here. Um, you know there are some commonalities that we run across that hey this is pretty standard straightforward um but you know we see it all often with with cmu most most especially around here where you know you see a bowing wall yeah you got to stop that wall from moving you know patching that wall 
Um, I, I've gone into many houses where you'll see layers and layers of, you know, these horizontal cracks being filled with either caulking or mortar or uh, spray foam, or whatever <laughs> it is. And you, you're like, wow, this is almost three inches thick. This mortar joint doesn't match up with the rest. So, you know, we, we have uh, about several to eight different products to utilize for foundation stability. When it comes to sealing cracks, uh, concrete, or, or um, block, right? Block, you're typically looking at remortaring them um, and repointing the block. So on concrete, uh, there's, there's a couple methods. If it's just a small leak, uh, you can do a urethane injection, a polyurethane injection, which is a foam. It's a two-part material that will, you, you put it at a high pressure, you can inject it through the wall. You're actually forcing that material to the outside of the crack, which actually creates a seal there and then seals it from inside to out. Um, we also have, you know, you, you can V them out, grind them, crack, chase them, and then uh, do, you know, uh, that water stop um, seal from the inside. Again, if the foundation's moving, those things are rigid, they can reopen. So, yeah. you know, it, it evaluating, is it moving, not moving? Is this something that caused in the first three to five years of the foundation or something like that? So, Matt, let's say you show up to a house. It's an older home, mm -hmm. and it, there's a dirt floor. We were in one a couple of weeks ago where we could see rivulets from water movement um, that looked yeah. like a stream bed. Uh, and so they do have seasonal water issues. Some people, though, they'll have a dirt floor, and they'll have no water issues whatsoever. What is your recommendation about that dirt floor and how to address it, whether they're standing water or not? Yeah, moisture, moisture, moisture. <laughs> um, so you 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 know there's options there too you can seal those off um and, and kind of treat them as a crawl space you can seal those basements up with vapor barriers or you can look at actually installing a, a concrete floor in those spaces and, and going back to the um the orchard uh there um that's what we did there it was it was kind of dirt a little bit of concrete but you know the, the, the owners wanted to utilize the space so concrete becomes more uh, more, you know, durable to really use the space. Uh, you can use it with our vapor barriers, but, um, you know, there is a difference. So, but you've got to stop that moisture. Oh, exposed soils in a house, that is in the past. Um, you don't want exposed soils in any home, whether it be a rubble foundation or concrete or sure. um, crawl space, block, whatever it be. So uh, uh, some of the people who have been listening uh, will be asking, okay, I've got a basement. I've got no water problems. The water problems are dealt with, but I want to insulate that wall. My cousin told me just slap up some two-by-fours and fill it with fiberglass against the concrete wall, and we're good to go. Yikes. Um, yeah, you're <laughs> turtling. So, so what are the proper types of insulation for which types of walls? I mean, we've gone over this, but part of this is, is reiterating these things so that, that people, it sticks in people's minds. So, um, obviously if you're going to be using rigid insulation, you need a flat surface to put it up against. So rigid, using rigid in a st uh, rubble wall situation will leave air gaps yeah, behind. It's not a, it's not a great thing. We, we all know that we want our 
insulation to be contiguous, right? We don't want air gaps between our wall and our insulation. So, and don't put wet pack cellulose against a rubble foundation. Don't put any cellulose oh, against God. a foundation. It, it becomes wet pack no matter I, what you I've do. And I've seen that so yeah. many times. So, so I know, Matt, with that, what type of insulation do you usually like to see? And I know with there's which a, type of wall, yeah. And which type of wall. And I know that there's some issues where if you insulate too far below grade, you can cause some frost heave uh, challenges. So what do you think about that? Yeah. Uh, um, stay away from uh, fiberglass, uh, rock soil, uh, wet, wet pack, cellulose, any of those. You really, on concrete, um, you know, good concrete foundation, great to use rigid foam. Um, and you can you can adhere those with uh, some foam adhesion, and you can pin those right to the wall. You got a great insulation barrier there. Um, block and block is a, is a very uh, an area where you want to take great concern um, because you're relying on these mortar joints to continue the integrity of the foundation. Yep. Once those crack, the integrity of that block is gone. And this is just to be clear, this is hollow core CMUs, right? So, Correct. Yep. yep. Um, and when you insulate those, I I am really, in a, uh, really trying to stay away from going anything below grade on those foundations because if you have the wrong to- uh, soil types and high moisture content, you can drive that frost factor down deeper which then can put more lateral force on a wall. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we take that to let's get just, you know, let's, let's insulate above grade and rim joist area um, is, is a priority on those. And then the rubble foundations, very similar to, to, to CMU, but you, you've got some leeway there depending on uh, the, the construction of it and, uh, you know, spray foam insulation, they have closed cell, uh, two-part spray foam insulation is, is what we use in those environments. And those fill the voids. They also create some structural integrity, right? Yeah. The, the spray foam insulation um, creates a little bit of rigidity in there. It ties things together so it, it can actually create a little bit of reinforcement for it. But again, not wanting to go much below grade. And, and before we, we spray foam a rubble wall, we got to make Clean sure it. we have no water intrusion at all. Yeah, and no dirt debris. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah cause it, once it starts to cure in the first few seconds that you spray it on, it's going to release yeah. and take that dirt with it and not be in contact in, with the surface that you're trying to insulate. Creating voids, which we want to avoid. So, Matt, uh, we're right up against the end of the show. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for oh, participating. Yeah. Uh, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, northernbasements.com and or 855-DRY-TIME. Uh, phone number is 855-DRY-TIME um, and or uh, northernbasements.com. Okay. Um, check our website out. It's great. It gives you a lot of information there. And, you know, we uh, we have our office is, is always full. Um, the people that are ready to take calls and, and schedule appointments for us to get out and take a look. Great. 
Well, Wonderful. thank you very much, and and have a happy holidays. Um, thank you so much for particip- participating. And for our other callers, just so you know, um, because of the holidays, uh, next Saturday is Christmas. The Saturday after that is New Year's. We're off on both of those days, so we'll be back the week after, the Saturday after New Year's, which will be, I guess, the 7th of January. Um, until then, uh, this is Chris West for House Calls Vermont. And Jim Bradley, we and, uh, thank you for joining us. And have a great holiday. Bye for now. Calls Vermont on WDEV FM and AM. Be sure to join us January 7th, 2022 at 1230 during the noon hour for House Calls Vermont. <laughs>